the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Unfortunately, there are also a group of people, look at verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they're just drunk. And, and unfortunately, I still hear today in some circles of the church who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or who are skeptical of the gifts of the Spirit, they simply make fun of those who have the gifts. So it's really interesting that not much has changed in 2,000 years, and yet Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. There's still some ignorance today in the church. It's always easier to avoid controversy instead of dealing with it. The subject of the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues is something many in the church would prefer to just ignore and avoid as opposed to having an honest discussion about it. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, because we misunderstand this gift, we're often quicker to make fun of it than to try and find understanding and discernment concerning it. The problem is, Paul explicitly tells us that we need to understand these gifts. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here we are, verse 1. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message or the word of wisdom. To another the message or the word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And is still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. And again, uh, I pointed out that verse because it's important to realize that God distributes the gifts as He determines. You may have a gift that someone else doesn't. Uh, you may wonder what your gift is. I have news for you. You have a gift if you're a believer somewhere. And so I hope in the course of maybe this study, you'll begin to identify a gift or two or three that you have. But God is the giver. 
And so we are to always seek the giver more than the gifts, but God gives the gifts liberally. Why? For the glorification of God in their proper use and for the edification of the church. The reason that God has given gifts of the Spirit is so that when we function together using the various gifts God has given us, then the body of Christ is built up. We are edified. We are strengthened. We are encouraged. We are challenged. We, we come together using our various gifts. And he's going to take time in this 12th chapter to talk about how not one gift is more special than another. He's going to say, in fact, those that we think are lesser gifts, we need them even more. So there should never be a competition. There should never be, you know, some kind of a merit badge or a poker game where you're trying to ante up somebody else with your gift versus their gift. So none of that kind of nonsense that unfortunately happens in some circles of the church. This, this whole topic, by the way, is very divisive in some circles of the church because you have some people who are very sure that the gifts of the Spirit, if, if so to speak, petered out with Peter. And then you have other people who are so preoccupied with the gifts of the Spirit that they, that they seem to seek the gifts more than they even do Jesus, and they exalt the gifts of the Spirit more than they do salvation in some corners of the church. So we're hoping to bring balance to this, and we're hoping to just kind of look through the Scripture verses and understand these gifts in light of God's Word, and that uh, this whole study will be encouraging and edifying and not... Uh, not divisive, which is, you know, I sitting here, the last song, we're like, Jesus the Nazarene, you know, is a beautiful hymn of our faith. And I'm thinking those of you with Nazarene backgrounds, you're probably eating it up right there. You're, you're loving that song, Jesus the Nazarene. I got that Nazarene background and you're loving that part. But now, <laughs> now we come to the gifts of the spirit. And I know some Nazarenes who love the things about the gifts of the spirit. I know some Nazarenes who are like, I ain't touching gifts of the spirit with a 10 foot pole. So I'm not sure how comfortable you will be through the rest of the service, but at least you got the song out of the way and feel good about that. But no, on a serious note, I do trust that no matter what your background, I can tell you again, and I'll, and I'll be kind of, you know, sharing a little bit of my own story through this as I have, but I can tell you from my own background, you know, it, the gifts of the Spirit, you just didn't talk about, let alone believe in them. And uh, the few people I knew who did operate and practice any gifts of the Spirit, you know, they were weird. And so, you know, you're scared of them. And so, you know, it gets to the place where you start to evaluate things, which is a dangerous thing. You start to evaluate things on the basis of, you know, your observation of other people. It's a very dangerous thing. Don't do that. Evaluate things on the basis of of what Scripture says. And just be open to it. Because I had to grow in the area of the gifts of the Spirit. My background did not lend itself to this understanding. In fact, it was kind of, kind of counter to what we read in Scripture. But there are a lot of things over the course of your Christian life, I hope, that you will be able to give way uh, if your personal opinion seems to be different from what God reveals in Scripture. The difficulty is that there are many good godly people who interpret things differently. And so that's what becomes sometimes the challenge. And what we have to be careful about is that we always interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so uh, as we look at the gifts of the Spirit, we have to keep in mind that the Bible is the handbook for all of this. It's not based on someone's experience, really. Uh, you know, I've had people in the past ask me if I want to experience this or experience that. And, and some of the things that they have suggested to me, I don't find a scriptural basis for. There used to be different phenomenons uh, many years ago, and th- these faddish kinds of things that aren't necessarily with biblical basis will come and go. Uh, how many of you uh, remember the season of laughing in the spirit? Let me see your hands. All right. So no one's laughing anymore. 
I mean, you know, some people, I guess, uh, do, but that kind of has come and gone. How many of you remember gold dust of the Spirit? Anybody remember it? So some of you. So others of you are like, gold dust? Well, you, you don't need to know. Trust me, you don't need to know. But I'm just saying that there's been different things that have come and gone and different phenomenons that people have sought. And, and here's really the ultimate litmus test. Did Jesus teach it? Did the early church practice it? And did the epistles support it? If you can answer yes to that, you should embrace it. But if you can't answer yes to those three questions, you should be skeptical of it. Did Jesus teach it? Did the early church practice it? And did the epistles support it? And on that basis, we study here the gifts of the Spirit. Now, so far, we've made our way through seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit as we talk tonight about the gifts of the Spirit and their proper use, their proper function in the church So far, the first seven we've already looked at. I'm just going to go through the definitions real quickly without commenting about it. You can go back and listen to the teachings on archive on the website. Message or word of wisdom is an inspired insight or answer to a problem or question that God might give someone. Message or word of knowledge is inspired information about a matter or a person. This is all from the Lord. The gift of faith is a special ability to trust and rest in the promises or possibilities of God for a given situation. And remember, the gift of faith is different from faith for salvation. This is a gift that God gives some people. We've also talked about the gift of healing, the supernatural ability of God working through a person to cure illnesses or restore health apart from natural means. We also talked last week about miraculous powers. That's also listed here. Miraculous powers are the working of God's power through a person for his glory. Then we also talked last week about the gift of prophecy, which is to declare or speak something under divine inspiration for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of people. It may be either foretelling or it includes also forthtelling, the declaration of God's word under inspiration. And then we finished last week's study talking about distinguishing or the discerning of spirits, which is to discern between what is divine, human, or evil about a person or a situation. And there is the ability that God gives some to kind of uh, see the character of a person. And I know that sounds judgmental, but um, it, it is for the ability of being able to kind of cut through the veneer and see the, the real person the good or the bad of it, and, uh, and God gives that gift uh, to some as well. And so we come now to the last two of the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the first part of chapter 12 here, and these last two gifts are tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So we come now to probably the most controversial of all the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and interpretation. So here's a definition uh, for those of you taking notes uh, for the gift of tongues and the companion gift, which is the interpretation of tongues. Uh, Tongues is an inspired language unknown to the person speaking. That's important. We'll talk about that. For prayer and praise to God. And then with that is the interpretation of tongues, which is the companion gift to tongues for the purpose of edifying the speaker or the hearers. So these gifts go together, and it is important to understand both of them as companion gifts. Now, the gift of tongues uh, we first see uh, poured out upon the early church 
back in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn back, uh, hang a left to the book of Acts and into chapter 2, we find the first reference to this particular gift functioning in the early church. And so again, just to kind of set the scene here in Acts chapter 2, you have Jesus now who has risen from the dead. He has appeared to his disciples uh, and now he has subsequently ascended back into heaven and his disciples have now returned to Jerusalem and they've gathered in this what we call the upper room where they are just now waiting upon the Lord. Uh, the, the disciples, small d, we're not, we're not talking about the apostles, although they are there as well, uh, but now the group is about 120. There are followers of Christ, disciples, they are students of Christ, and that is the total makeup of the, of the church in Acts chapter 2, 120. I mean, here we are tonight, some 2,000 years later, as a result of the faithfulness of the nucleus of this core group of believers meeting in this upper room. And they're just waiting on the Lord, and they're seeking the Lord, because Jesus told them before he ascended back in chapter 1 of Acts, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. For in a little while, and then he, he tells them about how you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They don't know what that means. They don't know what that looks like. They don't know what that feels like. They have no particular expectation, so they're just waiting uh, on the Lord. Uh, one of the things they do is they choose a replacement for Judas, who has hanged himself, and he's, he's out of the picture now. We're not even sure they should have been doing that, okay? They're casting lots, and they're, you know, blowing on dice. I think they're in Vegas, and they shouldn't have been doing that, to be honest with you. There's no biblical basis for them to have been casting lots, and they pick a guy named Matthias. We don't hear about him ever again, uh, because probably the Lord's will was, was Paul. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. When you come to chapter 2, though, that's the scene. They're in the upper room. They've chosen Judas's replacement. They're waiting on the Lord for the Holy Spirit, whatever that might be, however he might manifest himself. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, this is a Jewish feast on the calendar. Pentecost, from the Greek word meaning 50, it falls 50 days after Passover, which is the previous holiday on the Jewish calendar. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, now circle the word tongues there. It is the Greek word glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A. We get our English word glossary from that term, which is a glossary in a book is just basically a list of terms or a list of words. Yes, we get that from this Greek word glossa. So they begin to speak in other tongues, other languages, glossa, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each, of one, each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. It's a different Greek word there. It's dialectos. We get our English word dialect. But these words can sometimes be used interchangeably. They, they hear these people in the upper room speaking in their own native languages, though you're going to notice here in a moment there's a representation of 15 foreign countries. Verse 7 says, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And here's the list. 
from these countries, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. All right, now, you know what I love about those last two verses? Those are the exact reactions that people have today, still, about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 12, one group reacted by saying, I wonder what this is all about. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So there are some people who even today, they have a legitimate interest in wondering, what does this mean? Some of you are here tonight, you're, you're wondering, what does the gift, uh, gifts of the Spirit mean? What is the gift of tongues? What does that mean? Okay, but unfortunately, there are also a group of people, look at verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they're just drunk. And, and unfortunately, I still hear today in some circles of the church, who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or who are skeptical of the gifts of the Spirit, they simply make fun of those who have the gifts. So it's really interesting that not much has changed in 2,000 years, and yet Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. There's still some ignorance today in the church. So it's good that you're here, and I, and I trust that you're going to approach it as the first group did. I wonder what this means. You know, I want to understand, I want to grow, and I want to, you know, grow in our faith and knowledge as God reveals these things in His Word. Now, this is a very interesting gift because the one thing that is different about this gift in particular, the gift of tongues versus all the other gifts, is that this particular gift is an insult to one's intellect. What do I mean? I heard Pastor Chuck say that years ago. It was actually very freeing to me, and I'll get to my story in a little bit. But if you are speaking in a language because God has given you a particular language, but by its definition, the gift of tongues is a language that the speaker does not understand, then it is an insult to one's intelligence to be speaking a language you yourself don't understand. You know, if someone comes up to you with the gift of healing and they pray over you and and God chooses to miraculously heal you, there's nothing insulting about that. That's completely wonderful. If somebody has a word of knowledge and they speak into your life and it's consistent with Scripture and God has already similarly said something to you, so it's a word of confirmation, that's wonderful. That's not an insult to your intellect. But you have a particular gift and you are speaking a language that you do not understand, that is insulting to one's intellect because it it causes your brain to just kind of go on pause like This sounds like babbling. This sounds ridiculous to the one speaking. Now, the gift of tongues is a known language somewhere in the world. In fact, it tells us in chapter 13, which we will get to hopefully next week, that some speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So it could be a heavenly language, but it is known somewhere, either an earthly language or a heavenly language. It's known somewhere, except it is never known to the one speaking it. Now, in this particular scene in Acts chapter 2, here are these... It's entirely made up the early church initially of Jews. Here they, about 120 Jews meeting in this room. 
That's the sum total of the early church. And they're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, these flames of fire that just comes down and kind of, you know, looking like tongues, but it's, it's not related to the gift itself, okay, when we hear the word tongues, tongues of fire, gift of tongues. It's just, it's just using a language to describe, you know, how flames can look like they're, they're like in a tongue uh, form, like they're lapping something up. And, and these, these flames would come down and just kind of quickly light on people who were in that upper room. And then it tells us that as a result of them, they're, they're declaring the wonders of God. That's what verse 11 says. The bystanders who have gathered there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, other Jews from other parts of the world who speak other languages, are hearing a mixture in this one room. It's spilling over into the streets through the windows or an open door or whatever. They're hearing this commotion of a bunch of people praising God in various languages that, again, are unfamiliar to the worshipers, but are familiar to the people on the street who are walking by. There are 15 other countries represented there. And they all stop and they pause and they're like, we hear, we hear these people declaring the wonders of God in our own dialectos, in our own language. What is going on here? What in the world is happening here? And they want to know and, and understand an explanation. Now, The gift of tongues itself, you might wonder, its purpose, if in fact a person speaking it, if God has given someone a gift of speaking in another language, the question becomes, at least I want to know, right? Why? All right? When my my parents were called in to parent-teacher day when I was in second grade, my teacher said to my parents, your son asks why too much. Okay, call it my inquisitive nature. Call it my ignorance. I, don't, I just want to know why. Why would God give a language to someone that is known to other people except to the one speaking it? For what purpose? All right, you note takers, write it down. Two purposes for the gift of tongues. Praise and prayer. I'm going to give you a couple of verses just so we understand. First of all, right here in Acts 2.11 the, the bystanders heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own native language. So there you have an evidence that the gift of tongues used in praise. They're worshiping God, and the bystanders hear them declaring the wonders of God. But we also see references. Here's a reference, Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It is possible to pray, to have a a language unknown to you, but you're praying to God in this language, and it is used for the purpose of praise and prayer. Also, Jude, verse 20 and 21, Jude writes, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul actually combines these two purposes of prayer and praise when he describes his own experience and his own practice of this gift, in 1 Corinthians 14, listen to verses 13 through 15. Paul says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For I pray in a tongue, Paul says. But my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Because see, he's saying, I don't understand what I'm saying in this other language. So what shall I do? Paul adds, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. 
I will sing with my spirit. Do you hear him talking about praising with tongues? But I will also sing with my mind. So in other words, what he says is, he prays to God and praises God in an unknown language because God has given him that particular gift. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go. But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.